Here at the Holy Hive Show, we consider ourselves to be a jolly, wholesome group of people, but we feel the need to remind you, the listener, that our show does contain uh, strong language. We tend to discuss adult themes, and every now and then we'll take part in the occasional satanic ritual. So, you know, please use discretion. Thank you. Dan, you look pretty bundled up right now. I am pretty bundled up. Yeah, you look really cozy. Yeah. For people not watching on the YouTube channel, Dan's wearing a nice brown sweater and a beanie. Look really cozy. Yeah. Settling into winter? I'm settling into the cold temperatures just fine. I mean, I could do without the days of bad air quality, but other than that, it's it's pretty nice. I mean, we haven't had pretty that bad of air quality the past few days either, so... You know. Yeah, yeah. When the snow comes in, it seems to kind of sweep out all the, the the crappy smog, which is nice. I think we're kind of experiencing something we get every couple of years, which is like a half-assed winter. Yeah. And I hate half-assed winters because I, to me, the worst parts of winter are like, uh, well, like the, just kind of the stereotypical things that everyone hates, like slushy streets, and things get kind of dirty when everything's wet, you know, and. I don't actually don't mind the cold, but I hate it when it's like teetering between freezing temperatures and not freezing temperatures. So it's like you 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 dress for the weather when you leave the house, but halfway through the day, it's like too hot, you know? Exactly. I think if we're going to do winter, let's just go all the way. I want six feet of snow like once a month for four months. I want to go hard on winter. I like the idea of doing winter. Like we have a choice. We're not doing, we're not going to do it this year. <laughs> Well, this is a winter. I mean, we got, we got, how much snow did we get this week? Like two, two inches? Yeah. And I felt like that was an unfair, uh, expectation that was put on us, uh, by the meteorologists. I think they all got together and were like, let's fuck with everyone in Utah and be like, Hey, we got some storms coming. And it was just like all done before I even woke up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I also think there's maybe a, maybe the meteorologists this year in the news are, they have all of the pressure on them to bring good news because everything else is just a dumpster fire. So they're like, Hey, maybe, you know what, we're going to, we're going to talk about how the snow is going to clear out all the smog and it's going to be a nice, pretty weekend. And then we just get this like light dusting and it's like, eh, you know? Yeah. I mean, it looks nice for a couple of hours, but then, you know, it kind of melts and it looks like what you're saying, kind of half-assed, like a little flaccid. Exactly. And when you have a full on winter, the full tilt winter, when we get when we when you have piles of snow everywhere on every street, then things stay kind of dry because the the the, the snow stays frozen. So the once they plow the streets, everything's kind of dry and um, it's it's nice. But when we're in this like half-assed winter, it's like we're gonna snow in the morning and it's gonna be all melted by the evening, and then come summer we're gonna have empty rivers and everything's gonna start on you know start burning. Yeah, it's not what you want. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of agree with you that everything kind of just looks ugly. Like there's nothing worse uh-huh. than dead grass that has been kind yeah. of weighed down by snow. So it's just kind of stuck in this like flat position. It's really, really yeah. gross looking. Yeah, yeah. And the and, and when, when you have the, the, the full winter and like literally the whole valley is covered in white snow, it looks awesome. Yeah, I agree. Really picturesque. Same with the mountains. When the, the mountains have this like kind of half-assed snow thing. There's like a gradient from like nice white tips of the mountains and then it goes to this like sad brown mm-hmm. as you get towards the, <laughs> the ground level. <laughs> um, so hopefully it picks up a little bit, but I think, I think they were saying it's going to be a pretty mild winter and we should be on drought watch for the next year. But, you know, we've got bigger fish to fry right now. 
Hey guys, just cutting in to tell you about the newly launched HolyHiveUtah.com. It's our website where you can find all our blog, podcast, and video content. This week, we're running our 2020 Small Business Bible, where you can connect with tons of small businesses for your holiday shopping and keep that money close to home. To celebrate the launch, we're giving away $200 in gift cards to small businesses like Caputo's, Normal Ice Cream, Gear 30, and Time and Place, all of which have online stores. So if you want to sign up to win those gift cards, head over to HolyHiveUtah.com. So speaking of uh, bigger fish to fry, big news story this week is the vaccine's here. The vaccine is here. It is here. So I was reading in the Trib that uh, I think they they have about 70,000 doses that came in for healthcare workers this week, and they're expecting 154 doses in Utah. And they had a graph up that that, that said, you know, the number of doses in in Utah versus how many healthcare workers we have. We have about 140 healthcare workers. So um, December could be pretty productive with getting all of our, uh, our health and medical staff vaccinated. Yeah, I do wonder what the breakdown is going to be. And I wonder, is that 154 doses like completely or is that just like the single dose? Because I know that these these vaccines require two doses, right? Yeah. And I I, I, I looked through the article to find something like that because, I, I mean, I, if, I would assume that people or when the, when the, the, the companies are developing a vaccine, like a dose is like both doses. Like yeah. A full, you know. A full, a full round of, of, of COVID doses. So I'm assuming when they say 154,000 doses, it's both of them, like two doses per person. But I could be wrong, you know, but uh, I would assume, I would assume so. But there's 3.2 million people in Utah, so we still have a long way to go. But I, like a lot of people who read this news this week, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. It seems like most news places covering the vaccine or news outlets covering the vaccine this week are like, yeah, we got vaccines here. Here's a video of someone getting their first dose. And it's like all, there's a little bit of hope coming through in the news. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it is exciting to see, you know, I know the first uh, Utah healthcare worker just got vaccinated this morning uh, and that was the first person Mm -hmm. to receive it. So that is exciting. I know that like my mom is going to be among the first batch. She's not a healthcare worker, but I believe Herbert said last week that that teachers are going to be really high up on that priority mm-hmm. list as well. And so she's yeah, she's in an elementary school. So that's exciting for her. Um, I don't know if that means mm-hmm. I can hang out with her yet or not. There's still for me, there's still yeah. like a lot of questions involved. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can people who get the, the vaccine still kind of pass on the, you know, some some of the infection or the virus, I guess, like an asymptomatic carrier would. Um, yeah. So there are still lots of questions, but man, is it really exciting? Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of funny, like, well, I, not kind of funny. It's actually kind of daunting the pressure that healthcare workers have had this year, not just dealing with the hospitals and everything and, and the overflow in the hospitals and the, the whole, like, basically, it, it, even if they were working this job for five years, five, 10 years, it's like they had a whole new job this year. And now as we're getting to the end of it, they are the guinea pigs <laughs> for this vaccine. Yeah. So it's like it's it, the, the, the pressure that they have been under this whole year has been freaking insane. Um, but yeah, I th- and, and it's, and it's weird. Um, as the, first of all, I should say, going back to uh, how like the timeline and, and getting everyone doses, I think 
just based on this first week, just this little little uh, little delivery that the United States has gotten, um, I think it's going to move faster than people are estimating. And I know that everyone's trying to temper each other's expectations and stuff. But from what I've seen, like, I think we have like three pharmaceutical companies that are like approved, like that have their vaccines approved. Um, and the, uh, the, they, they just keep progressing and, and everything they're doing with the vaccine and they want to make money. That's what those ph- pharmaceutical companies are doing. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're just going to be in high production and they're going to be firing off a lot more vaccines than we actually think. Um, but it is kind of funny how, as these vaccines have started to roll out, the kind of headlines that have been popping up that have been like, someone had a headache for five days after taking the vaccine, and they're just yeah. like really trying to pick apart every kind of negative thing. It's like, man, just like give us a week. Give us a week of just like, hey, we're moving in a good direction here. Yeah. I saw today that there is a potential new strain of COVID-19 that's popping up in uh, England, and they're... Oh man! Now, so now there's some a little bit of hysteria surrounding that. Um, really, but, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty recent, but but yeah, it's a uh, it is. I think that you and I are probably a little we're kind of a little different in terms of our expectations because I've for some I don't know if it's because I'm cynical or if it's because I uh, have been expected. I mean, have been trained to expect bad news this year, but I just personally, yeah. like, was like, oh, it's not happening that quickly. And and another thing is just what you're saying of everybody kind of temper, kind of trying to temper everybody else's expectations, you know? Uh-huh. Like, you're not getting yeah. consistent dates, and so that's kind yeah. of frustrating. But I don't know. I really, I'm, I, I hope, I expect the worst and hope for the best, I guess. Well, that's that's like that's a good thing though. That's why I need you here because if if it was just me on this podcast, then it would just be naive, irresponsible optimism, and you, you get to ground me a little bit. So if we're still talking about when are we going to get the vaccine next August, yeah, then you know you can be like I told you so, and I'd be like, hey, things are still looking up though. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a good it's a good back and forth dynamic. Now. Yeah, um, and so and and also I've been thinking a lot about this kind of transition from the pandemic to the vaccinated public, which they say is going to take until about summer till everyone starts really seeing the vaccine. But as more, it seems like every people are clinging onto every little piece of data they can to justify, you know, either staying inside or going outside, whatever decision it is, whatever, however you feel about this thing, people are clinging onto these little pieces of media to justify their actions. And so I'm kind of expecting as we get a few people under the vaccine, people are going to start being like, oh, you know, things are, hey, we're getting there. So we can start opening things up and and getting out there. And um, people aren't going to be as protected as they really think they are, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, And and I'm wondering how that's going to work with like businesses and stuff like that. Because, you know, being from a state that is kind of just like, I had a completely lackadaisical reaction to this whole, to a global pandemic. Uh, I could see them just like, like, I think, I think precautions are done at this point. As we start to vaccinate people, then the government's like, Hey, it's gonna, it'll work itself out. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's all fine until someone who has been vaccinated gets it. Cause I mean, it's not a hundred percent effective. It is 95% effective. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and mm. so I think that like the first news story of someone who's been vaccinated getting it, uh, I think that'll scare mm. some people into to a little better behavior. Um, I can yeah. only speak for how I'm going to react, and I'm just going to react probably until like we're at like eighty to ninety percent vaccinated. Like, Mm -hmm. as if it's not really changed much, you know, I'll go back to how I was behaving in, you know, summer and, and all of that, where I was like, when I, when I was hanging out with my family in the summer and our numbers were in like the mid hundreds, like I didn't wear a mask. I didn't, you know, care about hugging my mom. Um, And then Mm -hmm. since maybe October, it's been like, nope, I will not see you. I will not hug you. I will not be around you without a mask. And, and uh, so, yeah. I mean, once vaccines really start kind of popping up each, you know, here and there, whether it's like my mom or my sister-in-law who works in the hospital or my sister who works in a hospital, um, I'll probably start to to interact with them a little more. I don't really care that much about the bar or the movie theater. I mean, in the grand yeah. scheme of things, like I love both of those places yeah, and I'm excited no, yeah, yeah. to get to them. But more than anything, For I sure. just want to say what's up, you know, hang out with the fam. Yeah, talk, yeah. Talk That's the biggest shit. thing, honestly. And honestly, yeah, <laughs> and I think uh, as I think we can be more strategic and kind of more tactical with how we have social gatherings as people start to get vaccinated, because if, you know, your sister and your mom get vaccinated and then they go a month with the vaccination, you, you, you have a really good option. Like you have a really good chance to go hang out with uh, your, your mom and your sister with a really low risk factor. And so. Like it does, it will get better. It doesn't mean we, we have to, we have to stay like this until every single person is vaccinated and accounted for. It's just like, we can be, we can still be responsible about this. And the vaccine just gives us one more, like it, 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 it just mitigates the risk a little bit more, you know? And so I I hope that's the way that people will kind of see it. Um, I expect a lot of, see, this is where I get, um, (laughs) when I start talking about the state specifically, this is where I get pessimistic, but, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people will just kind of be flooding restaurants and bars again pretty soon. And um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do at this point. I, yeah. I haven't, I haven't gotten COVID yet and we're so far along that I'm like, I just have to like stay in for the final stretch, you know? Oh, truly. There's nothing like that scares me more than getting it like a two weeks before, like the vaccine comes, comes out for the whole public. Like that would just be the absolute worst. Yeah, yeah, that would be horrible. You get it like a month before you're supposed to get vaccinated. Yeah, that would suck. So as we this this I, I, so as I was thinking about the the vaccine thing and the transition from now into the vaccine and thinking about next year and what that's going to be like and. It's funny because at the end of 2019, I had a good idea of what 2020 might be like. And then, of course, this happens and everything's thrown from a loop. So I guess I can't really say what next year is going to be like. But something that's going on with me personally is this month I'm entering my last year of my 20s. And the, the, the existential, I wouldn't say dread, but existential curiosity. Yeah, you're, you're asking a lot of, of questions. Yeah, I'm starting to, to analyze my life. And we have these like milestones, like our twenties and our thirties and, and we, and we, we pretend that that, that switch from 29 to 30, like something magical happens or that somehow you're like vastly different. Um, that's, that's how we like to kind of compartmentalize things in our, in our head. Uh, 
but I've been, I've been, I've been wondering as I go into my last year of my twenties, what my thirties are going to be like. And, um, you are the same age. Except yes. you, you turned 29 earlier this year. Yeah. I'm, I got five months left of the twenties and then I'm into the 30. So. Oh, that's right. So you're, so you're, you're right on it. Yeah. I'm about there. Any existential dread? Not particularly, no. I mean, nah. me, there might have been if I hadn't been dealing with a pandemic all year, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, there might have been some, like, thoughts of, like, oh, man, what am I going to do? But really, yeah. I I don't really – I kind of nah. don't really care that much, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, in, in like, as I was thinking about it, I started to think about what, what we perceive kind of just on a – societal level our 20s to be versus our 30s and I think really what it is is that when you're in your 20s your whole existence is kind of predefined for you like as you exit high school it's like college you know maybe you get into a serious relationship maybe you start a family things kind of ebb and flow from there but it's like your young adulthood and then you cross over um, into your 30s which is a lot more undefined where like nobody tells you what your 30s is going to be like. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're in your 20s. You got to do this. You got to go travel, do all these things. And then your 30s are just kind of the byproduct of your 20s, you know? Yeah. Like, this is what you're left with. And I think a lot of that comes from the kind of image of family a lot of the times, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that you and I don't have immediate plans to to start having kids anytime soon. Um, mm -hmm. and so like, I think that a lot of what we wanted to do in our twenties of exploration of, of traveling and of, of self-exploration, like we could still do that stuff in our thirties if we, you know, yeah. if we don't have children or we don't have, you know, certain things tying us down elsewhere. Um, not that mm -hmm. children are a weight or anything, but it is, you know, that's a lot of your time. Um, and a yeah. lot of financing as well, obviously, but <laughs> I view, I kind of view it the same way um, in, insofar as that, like, yeah, your, your 20s are definitely segmented, but in terms mm -hmm. of, like, expectation for me, I expect my 30s to be just more laid back, I would assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because my, my personal 20s um, are kind of broken into two parts. Like, I was a very stupid person from age 20 to 23, not in terms of like book smarts, but in terms of like my social behavior and like my relationship with, yeah. with alcohol or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and then once I hit like 23, 24, that was when I started to pick things up professionally and I started to feel mm -hmm. a little bit more like an adult. Um, mm -hmm. Started gravitating towards things that interested you more. And yeah. And I think that like that's that. something yeah. that I, I really, uh, really enjoy i like kind of the more laid back you know not really going on yeah going and getting crazy drunk at the at keys on main you know what i mean yeah yeah so yeah and yeah i think uh i i i, I feel the same way where i'm like i think i was really bad at being a 20 in my 20s like i i i, I went to college for a little bit and then i started to get jobs in the industry that I wanted to work in. And so I started exploring that and jumping into that. And I wasn't into a lot of the same kind of societal things that you are in your early twenties. Like, don't get me wrong. I got drunk quite a bit <laughs> in my early twenties in ways that like, 
I think about now and I'm like, God, like that, that was like not even irresponsible, but just like profane. Yeah. Like, like 30 racks of Coors Light over beer pong at the college dorm and two plates of super nachos from Rancheritos. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, if I did that today, I would probably be dead. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And I think, I think that's, that's kind of what the, what your, what your thirties is, is like, you're more secure in what you want to do. You're not like, I just, Oh, I just want to just go hard every single night. Cause you do that and it starts to get kind of boring, the partying and stuff like that. And I'm like, not, I've never been someone that's like way into clubs. Yeah. If I, if I go to a club and it's like, I am with a group of friends, it's like, we're going to go dancing. Then it's like, okay, it's a thing that we're doing. It's like, we're, it's like, we're going to lagoon, you know, we're going yeah. to go dance or something like that. It's not something that I do regularly every weekend or anything like that, or even go to bars that much. I'm more of kind of just a hang, a kickback kind of person. I'm the same way. You know? I think that it's more cost effective, which is something I think you care a little bit yeah. more about when you get older, which is funny because you have more money oh, when yeah. you get older. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's not like I'm not, you know, I think it was just a few years ago that we went up to hang out with your dad on St. Patrick's day and I got fucking blasted. So, I mean, like, it's not as if (laughs) the past five years of my life haven't been, you know, I've just been like hanging out with a tie on, but yeah, yeah. I do think those, those times are fewer and further between. Um, yeah. And I, I just think the expectation stuff and kind of the, the roles that we're supposed to play in our twenties are really, probably vastly different for Utahns than they are Mm -hmm. elsewhere in the country just because of the the Mormon culture kind of invading everyone's lifestyle like I have you know friends are getting married when they get back from missions and they're having kids pretty early Um, and and I do think that that kind of we're constantly measuring ourselves against what our friends are doing Um, and so if you have those friends or people in your life um you do wonder if like, am I kind of like just spinning my wheels here? Like, am I doing anything? Yeah. And so I do yeah. think that that is exacerbated in Utah, especially. Yeah. Everyone thinks that the, like when you're in your early twenties, you're like, what part of the breakfast club am I? Yeah. You know, you're like, who am I? And, and you, and you want to fit into those molds so badly. You want to like, you start to idolize people based on really superficial, dumb stuff. And you start to gravitate towards certain groups. And I think as you kind of get to your thirties, yeah, you're just like, I don't really care what I I'm, I'm more, I'm more concerned with how I feel when I'm hanging out with a person rather than what they represent and how I can tie myself to that, which is something I think you see more in your, uh, early twenties. Maybe, maybe that's just because of like the, the social structure of like colleges and stuff like that, those environments that you find yourself in in your early twenties. But as you start to kind of spend more time on your own, start to feel pretty confident just like being yourself and you're like, ah, everyone's just kind of worrying about themselves and everyone's kind of insecure and whatever. So it's like, and that grants you like a little bit of security and, and stability. And also, yeah, like you said, you don't have those nights where you wake up (laughs) and it's, and you're like 20, 22 years old and you have $150 in your bank account and you wake up and you look at your bank statement from the bar last night and you spent $70 and you're just like that, that sinking feeling I don't think I felt that in at least the last five years. So that's a good thing, right? Yeah. That's a a positive. But do you remember that feeling like the net, the morning after the bar and then looking at your bank statement? Oh yeah. I mean like the (laughs) amount of times where I was like, okay, how am I going to budget? 
you know, these various things. And this was even when I was like 24 years old, you know, when we were living in North mm-hmm. Salt Lake um, before I really landed my first quote unquote adult job. Like there were times where I was like, okay, so I have to pay for gas and groceries this week. Can I do anything mm-hmm. else? Um, and so yeah. that's something that's nicer. Just off the top of your head, do you have a favorite uh, favorite year of your 20s? I don't have an answer myself, so if you don't have one, no worries. Yeah, I I don't know, cause like, so I so I, I kind of the way I kind of break up, I, I kind of break up my life into like what I was working on at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily a, a numbers game, like an age thing. I kind of gauge my life by what I was working on, and when I was going to school, I was going to school down in St. George. I, w- I spent two years down there, and. That felt like pure exploration. That felt like I'm just like I, I think about living down there sometimes. And if you've if you haven't lived down in St. George, it's a pretty big party town. Like it's very very LDS, almost like hardcore fundament, fundamentalist LDS. Not quite polygamy, but it's 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 in that realm. Um, and there's and it's very conservative, but the college kind of level of things is ex- like parties everywhere. And there's also this weird, like rich kind of elite group of students who's like parents have vacations house houses down there and stuff. And every now and then you'll find yourself in like a mansion with no adults. <laughs> and it's, it's very weird. Um, but the amount of like the lack, complete lack of responsibility that I had down there and just like. I would either catch class or when I was working, I was working at a radio station down there. I would, you know, go into work and stuff, but then it was just like partying afterwards. And then maybe you'd go on some hikes or something like that. The nightlife isn't very great, but down there. So that was like pure exploration. And then moving back up to Salt Lake in 2013 um, and changing jobs and really getting like living in Salt Lake. That's, I think that kind of era was probably... Just I don't know, and maybe maybe I'm maybe you can kind of gauge these things by the uh, presidential administration that was currently <laughs> going on too at the time. So I think probably from 2013 to 2016, right before the uh, <laughs> the Trump administration was probably the like most fun. Yeah, you know? and I think I think in the last few years we've been kind of going through some growing pains, and then this just threw like this year just threw a wrench into everything. Um, so. I, I hope that this all this pain from this year is like closing the book on that little era, and and uh, we can be, get back to business, get back to fun stuff. Yeah, twenty one. Um, as far as a year though, I just like that's a weird thing to gauge. You know, yeah. it's like I uh, people. I I always thought it was kind of funny when people would be like, "Oh, my favorite year of school was this," or "This is," or "Being a junior is the best. It's way better than being a senior," or something like that. It's like, I feel like it's vastly different for every single person. Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah. For me, it was probably kind of the opposite. And, you know, this doesn't reflect my political views at all, but I think the Trump administration is when I really shined. Uh, That's that's when I was doing like my most uh, kind of traveling for work, which I've always really enjoyed doing. You know, we had a few trips to, to Denver to see some some musical Uh groups and stuff. I mean... I just think that that yeah. was that was actually a really fun portion of my life, and then it yeah. was just bookended by, uh, or ended by this uh, this year. So, yeah, and I, yeah, honestly, it actually did feel like that because we. So when did we go to Denver for Grand Doozy? Was that twenty eighteen? Yeah, twenty eighteen. 
Yeah, and then we I was at Life is Beautiful the, the, the year before. So it really started to feel like we were kind of getting into that adult, spread your wings, start traveling with your friends a little bit more, yeah. you know, act, trying to engage in fun things. Um, in fact, this year, we were supposed to, like, kind of do, like, a little bit of a bucket list thing, which was go to the NFL draft in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. We had that whole – like, I, I forget about that sometimes. We had a whole trip planned out, paid for. Everything was ready to go. And I still remember in March when we started, you know, staying home from work and things like that, we were like, oh, this will be – this this will all clear out by April and we'll still be able to go. And then, like, two weeks into April, it's, like, all canceled and then everything yeah. ends. I would feel um, stupid if everybody else didn't think the same thing, honestly. I think the NFL yeah, thought no, the uh, same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And and honestly, it kind of feels like at this point some people still haven't taken it that seriously. Like, ah, it's just gonna it's just gonna kinda go away. So uh kind of as as I've been kind of reflecting, I've been in this reflective mood. Um about going into the last year of my twenties. And it started, I started to think about Salt Lake city specifically. And it kind of started too, because I found a subreddit that is all about Salt Lake city development, which I was like, they have a subreddit for everything now. It's actually pretty cool though. Um, and I started to think about what Salt Lake city was in our youth. So we were both born in 91. So we could say that 2000 to 2010 were kind of, was like our formative youth. Mm-hmm. It's like, like early elementary into like high school. And then 2010s was like our young adulthood. And I guess we're going into our full adulthood. And so thinking about Salt Lake City when you were younger, when did you move here again? I don't actually know, which is strange for me as <laughs> someone who knows dates. Um, yeah. Either 98 or 99. I want to say that it was probably 98, but it could have been 99. So did you have, like, did, did Salt Lake have a rep- reputation in your head as a kid? Like, was it somewhere that you visited? No. Um, I, before we, like, I didn't know where it was on a map until we were pretty close to mm-hmm. moving. Um, I lived in New Mexico before I moved to Utah. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just was way more obsessed with lizards than I was with where Utah was or Utah's reputation or anything like that. I knew that we were moving somewhere where snow was a bigger deal because in, <laughs> yeah. in New Mexico, if you got an inch of snow, pretty much if you got any snow, it was, school was canceled. So I, yeah. I mean, like it was like, all right, well, I guess no more of this. Um, yeah. But no, I don't. Th- I don't think that it had a big reputation when I was moving here. Like I didn't know what Mormonism was right away. Well, I mean, like, did you did you did you visit? Like, did your family go up to Salt Lake at all? Like when you were a kid? Yeah, we. Because like, we're from Ogden, so. Like, if you want to go to Salt Lake, it's kind of a trip. Like, it's a little bit of a day trip, you know? Yeah, we did. When when we moved here, I'm sure we visited every once in a while. Like, just for most of my childhood, it felt kind of mm-hmm. like what you're saying. Like, it was a trip. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it did yeah. seem like a legitimate road trip. Like, it was like, oh, let's go to the Hogle Zoo. And it's like, all right. Can I, like, take yeah. a nap in the car? Yeah. When it's really, <laughs> like, 50 minutes, maybe? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. And um and like thinking about kind of so it's funny, when I was looking into history about like Salt Lake's development, it seems like all of the kind of historical pages about the city itself culturally end with the Olympics. So there's not really anything written about Salt Lake City past two thousand two, like of much substance, you know? But I remember 
that kind of era of Salt Lake City, again, I was really young. I think I was in fourth grade during the Olympics. Yeah. And, but like, I, like same thing, like Salt Lake City was a place that we went on day trips, you know, growing up in Ogden. It was like, we're going to go up to Salt Lake City. We're going to grab a hotel room and we're going to go to the gateway. The gateway in the early 2000s, like the heyday of the gateway, the gateway heyday. The gateway heyday. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine now because people, people are so kind of bummed out about the gateway. Back in the day, man, that place was amazing. You could spend like all day there. And it was less oriented towards like entertainment stuff. And it was just like a mall. But like you'd go to the planetarium, like go to all these places, look around, have lunch. And like just hanging out like in the gateway was fun. I went and saw um, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets at the Gateway Megaplex. (laughs) And I remember Uh thinking that was the biggest fucking theater I'd ever seen in my whole life. Dude, yeah, the first time you would go to the Megaplex, like, I still remember that, too. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And it's funny because, like, if you think about pre-Megaplex theaters in Utah, it's like our bar was pretty low yeah. <laughs> for movie theaters. <laughs> um, and and now it's just, like, it's it's insane. But, um, but, yeah, like, it felt like in the mid-2000s, there was kind of, like, this boom that was happening, and Salt Lake was, like, becoming this, like, fun place to hang out. And I guess a lot of that came from, like, the Olympics and probably the the influx of money that was coming in and, like, kind of gave Salt Lake more uh, motivation and leverage to develop everything. And then shortly after that, you kind of just hit the recession. Yeah. And everything kind of got put on hold. And Salt Lake didn't really do anything from, like, 2008 to, like, 2012-ish. There, there wasn't a lot going on, and the gateway started to go downhill, and shops started kind of moving around, and it was kind of just, like, all of this stuff, all this kind of, like, mini boom that we were having just kind of halted and was just kind of staying there, not really doing much for a few years. And I remember in high school, when you finally get cars and you finally get freedom, uh, you know, driving up and hanging out in the city... I would say that was like the kind of, and, and I, again, this is this is my own personal experience, so it could be different for everyone else who's lived in Salt Lake City, but to me, that was like the heyday of the Salt Lake Twilight concert series. Yeah. And it was fun because you could like drive up and just bum around the city all night and then go see a concert and then end up at like, I remember the place we always went to after was a little sushi joint across the street from the Galvin Center called Shogun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever remember that. Is it still open? No, I, no, it's not. It's definitely not open. But I think I can't. I think it was where Bodega is, or something, or one of those shops yeah. right there. Or maybe it was, it was right there on Main Street. It was one of those, um, those kind of like old building shops right there. But there was like a Shogun Sushi, and like, um, and it didn't feel like touristy. It kind of started started to feel a little more dingy, like. But again, this is my perception. Like I was hanging out at like old venues, like you know club sound and in the venue and stuff like that. So you're starting to hang out in these little more like dingier parts of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of stayed like that. And then I felt like in the mid two thousands, we started to get back on this kind of role of developing the city. Like we got the Eccles theater in 2016. That felt pretty big city Creek. When was city Creek? I think it was 2012, 2012. I think so. Um, yeah, and so, like, there, there was starting to, there, like, all these developments started to, like, come around. And especially, like, in these last couple years, 
we've seen like a, a lot of plans to develop like the granary district and all these kind of West Salt Lake areas. And even all these ideas about what we're going to do with the gateway now. It's like we're going to pick the, ba- the gateway back up and revitalize it. And then this happens. And yeah. now we have this, like, wrench <laughs> and everything. So I don't know. Kind of I wanted to, as I was, like, kind of reflecting on this past decade, I was thinking about what Salt Lake City is going to be like in the future. And, um, again, maybe I'm just being the, the optimist in the group. Uh, you can tell me otherwise, but I, I honestly think that this pandemic hasn't quite set us back. I think it's just stopped us for a, a moment. And going into 2021, if we can get past this, that we're going to start picking up again and and developing the city. Yeah, I think that you're probably right. I mean, I know that they're working on, the city's working on kind of revitalizing State Street right now, which I think would do a lot in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. just that's like the quote unquote entryway to Salt Lake. Like that is... Yeah, you could take that from Draper to to mm-hmm. to the capital if you wanted to, and so yeah. so getting that, especially in that like six south to ninth south area, getting that mm-hmm. revitalized, I think is gonna gonna go a long way. Um, mm-hmm. What you're saying with a bit west in in a bit west the western parts of Salt Lake, where you got like the post, mm-hmm. like where that newspaper the old newspaper printing plant is, you know, like all of that stuff is is about to to change significantly. Um, and even past Salt Lake, I think that there's a fun opportunity for real big growth between Salt Lake and mm-hmm. like the Lehigh area, you know? Yeah. Where, yeah. With the technology and the Silicon Slopes and all of that, like it'd be really uh-huh. cool if in like 10 years we have almost like a Twin Cities type vibe between the two cities where it's like we just have these two bustling, I don't, I don't know, yeah. quasi metropolises. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I just think that that's exciting and that opens yeah. the door for the, uh, the Utah chargers that we talked about a few, a few, uh, months oh, ago. Oh yeah. The Utah chargers <laughs> football team. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think a, a, a lot of the, uh, kind of influx of like the tech industry is going to help drive a lot of that development and like, obviously going to bring a lot of money into the state, but, um, also, I think uh, it was it was funny. I think it was uh, was it a Wikipedia page? There was some page that I was reading that was like the history of Salt Lake, and it talked about Salt Lake's lack of identity. And I thought that was really funny because it's kind of, it does kind of have this thing where you have the culture and then you have the counterculture, but there's no cohesive like identity to Salt Lake City. It's just like there's kind of the church, yeah. and then there's the kind of not church. And I kind of hate both of those. I'm somewhere in between where I'm like, everything doesn't have to be so counterculture just because, you know, the Mormon religion is very prominent here. Um, but also everything doesn't have to be Mormonism too. It can be like a little bit of everything. And so I think that I, I really see the 2020s as like a possibility to v- develop like a city identity, you know? Um, and I think part of that is because, uh, and I think we saw this in the like two, in the 2000s or the 2010s, throughout the 2010s, I think there was a changing of hands with a lot of the ways that the city was being run. And in a lot of ways, a lot of the, a lot of the state was being run and even the, the smaller cities like Ogden and Provo. Um, and I think if you look at Twilight as kind of a cultural yardstick, Twilight and Salt Lake City, about halfway through, they weren't sure really what to do with it. And it was kind of changing hands and the old guard that was kind of 
you know, that ha- they probably ha- went on to different responsibilities or whatever, but the same people that were working on Twilight weren't really working on it. And it started to turn into like a low effort kind of cash grab. And I don't think it was because anyone was incompetent or anything. I think there was an old way of doing things and people wanted something new and they weren't sure how to transition that. And so it kind of came off as like, like just a little stale. And on the other hand, when you look at Ogden, Ogden Twilight didn't have an old guard to pass that through. It was people who were younger. It was people who had probably a little bit more insight as to how the industry was moving. And they kind of started from scratch. And I don't know if you remember the very first Ogden Twilight. I think the like the most notable band was Purity Ring. Mm. It was in 2015. And now they've grown it into this thing that like people love. And I would say that like at this point, Ogden Twilight, I mean, obviously we didn't have either this year, but like at this point I would say the Ogden Twilight is probably more relevant of like a community event than Salt Lake Twilight. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, especially if you love the flaming lips, you're going to have a great time at the Ogden (laughs) Twilight. But no, really, all jokes aside, like their lineups, you're completely right. They blow anything Salt Lake has done in eight years out of the water. I mean, 2012 Mm -hmm. was probably the last the last year that I truly loved the lineup at Twilight. I think that was like Common, Big Boy. There were some really good Mm -hmm. artists that year. Um, But yeah, it's just now it's just kind of like Snoop Dogg, but he's DJing, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I think, yeah, that's part of it. Like another thing that we saw with Salt Lake Twilight during the 2010s was they kind of was they weren't sure where to host it. Sometimes it was at Galavan. Sometimes it was at Pioneer Park. And, I mean, I'm not going to say that Ogden Amphitheater is, like, the best venue in the world. In fact, I think if you've been to any of those concerts, you know how crowded it gets and how logistically it's not the smoothest. But they make it work, and it ends up being a party anyways. Um, And so, yeah, I think throughout the 2010s, Salt Lake and a lot of these – local institutions and communities, the people leading them are kind of, there's this this change of hands. And I think right before the pandemic hit, we started to see that go in that new direction. And we're seeing it now with media, with restaurants. I mean, restaurants are going through growing pains that they probably didn't want to go through f- for five years. And um, I think I think we'll be better for it, but I really, I, I really do have a lot of optimism for 2020. And um, <laughs> Maybe on that Wikipedia page, we can finally identify <laughs> what Salt Lake's identity is at some point. Yeah, that would be that would be nice. I mean, because I, I know that mm-hmm. we mentioned the Olympics a few times, and it's surprising we haven't mentioned them more, given how many, like, you know, how much real estate is dedicated to the 2002 Olympics to this day, whether it's For sure. street signs, overpass, you know, mm-hmm. sort of art. And everything in Utah yeah. seems to be at least kind of brushed with the idea of the Olympics. Yeah, and I think even the Gateway was kind of a bid to put some lipstick on the city before the Olympics. Yeah, and I know so that I they, they built they, they in... built the Grand America Hotel for the Olympics. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know. That's why they're building yeah. a new hotel for uh, at the uh, Salt Palace is because they got to have the uh, NBA All Star Game here in three years. So, hmm. Built. Interesting. Yeah. Events get things built, man. So we got to keep yeah, getting these for events. Real. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. Um, so yeah, it's fun. It's kind of funny. I, I'm like, I wonder if Sochi is like 
their whole identity now is about the Olympics and stuff like that. Like maybe they're feeling the same pain where it's like, we're just trying to shake off this one thing that happened a long time ago and develop our own identity as a city. But yeah, like we were talking about with all the developments that are coming from like the tech industry and just the kind of urban sprawl, like we're really filling in this valley and the valley to the north and the valley to the south too. Um, and yeah, I think once we get past this, once we can actually start hanging out in person again and working on things, that things will move pretty quickly. And I feel good about 2020 or the 2020s. Yeah. 2020 can suck it, but the yeah. 2020s <laughs> should but be the nice. 2020s. Yeah. A, a tough transition, but um, I think it's going to be great. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Holy Hive Show. Uh, once again, the website's up live and rocking. And so you can find all of our content at holyhiveutah.com, but you can also still follow us on Instagram and Twitter at holyhiveutah. Anything else, Dan? We cover um, it? No, I think we pretty well covered it. I guess thanks for uh, kind of hanging around. I know we kind of switched things up in terms of formatting on today's yeah. episode. So hope you enjoyed what we've done. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>